Welcome to the sermon podcast of Cedar Springs Presbyterian Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. Our mission is to respond to God's love by following Jesus and loving God, loving one another, and serving the world. If you're in Knoxville, we'd love for you to join us in person. In the meantime, enjoy this message from God's Word. Friends, good morning. My name is James Forsyth. I'm the senior pastor here, and it's good to be together this weekend. Personally, I'm, I'm glad I've made it to be here with you this weekend because my wife Rosie is out of town, which means I am, I, I, I'm on point. I'm in charge, uh, which is fine with the kids, but it also means the cat, and it also means our new puppy. Now, you may know that your senior pastor and your executive pastor now have new puppies. Um, What does this mean? It means we are losing our minds. Um, You should question our judgment. Um, Only follow us as we follow Christ, okay? Uh, We're we're struggling through. I I got a text on Saturday morning from a buddy, and he said, hey, how's the bachelor life going, right? And I sent back a text that was kind of, it was quite smug. I was like, Dude, I'm crushing it. The kids and the dog are alive. Uh, that, that's my measure of success. Uh, his response was, what about, what about the cat? <laughs> I saw that text and I thought, I haven't fed or watered the cat since Rosie left. <laughs> so I rushed through and, oh, praise the Lord for children who are more responsible than I am and our wee girl who has been feeding the cat in their mother's absence. So uh, happy to report all, all things in the Forsyth household are still, still alive, still, still well, and uh, Rosie's back tomorrow, so 24 hours, we, we got this, right? We got this, yeah. It is, though, good to be together uh, with, with the church, with the church family. And I wonder... As you came here this morning, what it, what it was you were expecting or what it is that you were looking for, I wonder how you would describe our church to, to friends or family, to neighbors, uh, co-workers who, who, don't, who don't come here. The statistics tell us that church decline is certainly, that church attendance is certainly on, on the decline in America. Before COVID, the percentage of the American population who said that their faith is very important to them and that they attend church at least just once a month, that was only 25% of the, the American population. And the percentage who hadn't been in church in the previous six months was now north of 50% in the American population. It's, it's clear that for most people in our day, most people in, in our context, most people in our culture, going to church isn't all that awesome. It's not a thing that they're, they're excited to do. And as a church, one of the first things we want to do is, is be slow and listen. Because honestly, when you hear the experiences some people have had in church, it's no wonder that they don't come back. It's no wonder that they're not excited to to be here. And if you are someone who's felt that way, if you're newly returning to to church, if you've been wounded by the church, we want you to know that we're we're glad that you're here and we want to listen and, and learn from you as hopefully you are part of this community listening and learning from 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 us. What's it like to go to church? More specifically, what's it like to go to to our church? Let's not settle ourselves with broad statistics about the entire nation. Let's think personally, let's think locally. What's it like to be a part of our congregation? How would you describe it to someone who had never been here before? Well, Psalm 133 is going to give us a description. A description of what the church can be. And not only what the church can be, but, 
but the kind of church that we want to be. Now, honestly, what, what was in your mind when, when that psalm was read? It, it's kind of strange, right? We have beards and oil and dew and mountains. Like, what's going on? And now then the pastor stands up and says, hey, this is a description of what the church can be. You're thinking, okay, it's kind of bizarre. Uh, it's a little bit strange. It's irrelevant to my day-to-day life. That kind of does actually sound what the church, like what the church is, is often to a lot of people. But let's, let's hang in. Let's look at this passage and, and see how when we mine this text, it gives us a description, not only of what our church can be, but of what we want our church to be. So before diving in, let's bow our heads together and pray. Father, you have given us your word and all of it is powerful and all of it brings life. Yet some of it seems strange to us. And so we need you to come and be our teacher. Would you make your word clear to our hearts and our minds this morning? that we might know more of your love for us and its implications for our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this psalm is about what it's like to gather with God's people. What the experience of being with God's people is is like. We know that because of the title that Psalm 133 is given. You see it there in verse 1. Above verse 1 is the title, A Song of Ascents of David. Now, the titles that you see throughout the book of Psalms are actually part of the Psalms themselves. This isn't something that's been added later. This is part of God's word to us, and often they're instructive and so And so here, the songs of ascents are a collection of the Psalms. There's 15 of them that were composed and written to be sung by the Israelites as they were on their way to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was on a mountain. So as they climbed this mountain, as they ascended the mountain, they sang the songs of ascents. And these songs are, are, are designed to, to, to be sung as they made their way to gather with God's people for worship at the temple and to partake in various religious festivals and, and ceremonies. And this psalm reflects on what the experience of doing that was like. What was it like when we all got together? And so in verse one, we read, behold, how good and how pleasant it is. When brothers dwell in unity or when brothers dwell together. When the family of God gets together, just see how much David loves it. Three words stand out. First of all, the word behold. David starts by saying, hey, behold, stop, look, listen, pay attention to this. Don't take getting together for granted. Why? Because secondly, how good it is. How good it is for the family of God to be with one another. I owe several things in this sermon to Sinclair Ferguson's commentary on this text. And one of the things he points out is that in the Bible, good is a a creation word. Remember, it's on the very first pages of the Bible that this word first appears. After each day of creation, we read that it was good. What God had made was was good. And then on the last day of creation, we read that what God had made was very good. Things are good in the Bible when, when they're as they're meant to be. When they're as God has designed them to be. 
And so David says, behold, when the family of God gets together, pay attention to this because this is how it's meant to be. This is what we were designed for. This is healthy and this is, is right. And so don't you love that then he adds, and how pleasant it is? Third word from this verse. How pleasant it is. It's not just good in the sense that it's healthy and right. It's also pleasant in the sense that it's, it's a joy or it's, it's a delight. You know, just one of the funny things about the way the world works is that lots of the things that are good for us really aren't all that enjoyable. Um, broccoli. Sticking to your budget. Having an early night. They're not the things that we think, yeah, I should love that, you know? Uh, and, and David's saying, hey, don't think the church is like that. Gathering with the family of God isn't just healthy and right, something you do because you're meant to do it. It's also pleasant. It's something that's a joy. It's something that's a delight. It's something that we want to do. Imagine something that is good for you and enjoyable. It's nutritious ice cream, right? That's what he's saying, you know? Why haven't the scientists figured that out yet, you know? Um, he's saying, get together. You'll find this isn't just what you were made for. It also brings you life. How good and pleasant it is when the family of God gathers together. Wouldn't that be a great thing to say about our church? Wouldn't that be a great way to describe our church? Hey, come to our church. It's good for you and you'll enjoy it. What a great description that, that, that would be. How is such a description possible? Well, David's going to tell us. Because in verses 2 and 3, he's going to give us two reasons why the church is so, so pleasant and good. And he does it by giving us two illustrations that honestly kind of sound strange to our ears. Imagine you actually have a, you know, you have a friend who says to you, oh, um, tell me what your church is like. And you say, it is like oil in the head. No, 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 no. It's like oil in the beard. Beard that runs down over the collars of your robes. And they look at you like, um, okay, uh, I'm, not, I'm not really tracking. Can, can you give me another picture? And you say, yeah, Cedar Springs is like the Jew of Herman. Uh, you know, these, th these are bizarre pictures. These are unusual pictures. Um, even in that, though, there's something interesting. Um, quick side note here. David is having this experience of, of gathering with God's people that's powerful and it's, and it's beautiful and it's hard to put into words. And because it's hard to put into words, he uses pictures or illustrations for it. Now, these pictures and illustrations might be strange to our ears, but they wouldn't have been strange to, to the ears of those who first heard, who first heard them. And, and even to us, they carry great meaning today. Let's look at them together. First of all, David says in verse two, it is good and it's pleasant for the family of God to get together because it's like precious oil, precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. This takes us back to the Old Testament and Aaron, who was the first high priest. He was Moses's brother and he was the first high priest of Israel. Now, if you were with us this fall, you've heard of the high priest because he came up all the time in the book of Hebrews. You remember, remember this guy? The high priest's job was to represent a guilty people before a holy God. 
Kind of like having a lawyer who represented you before the, the perfect judge. And they did this in a variety of ways, but they had two main jobs. First of all, they would offer sacrifice. Offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. Secondly, they would make intercession. They would pray for the people. Now, to become the high priest, get back to, back to our verse, to become the high priest, you would be anointed or consecrated with, with oil. Why? Because oil was a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Oil was a symbol of God's presence and God's power with the high priest. And so to set the priest aside for his work, they would pour out this oil, pour out this symbol of the Holy Spirit upon his head and not in small measure. They didn't hold back. They poured this so much of it on him that it not just was on his head, but rolled down through his beard and dripped down over, over his robes. And when the people saw this, they were seeing a visual representation of the fact that God was with them. That God's power, that God's presence had drawn near. And now in our psalm, David says, it's so good for us to gather as a family because there we find the oil of God. There we find the power and presence of God meeting with us in a special way. Friends, there's a, a desperately poor understanding of what theologians would call ecclesiology, uh, a desperately poor understanding of, of what the church is in, in American culture. We've kind of castrated the church into some kind of entertainment or social club or content delivery system. But do you understand what happens here? When, when we meet together, we're not just meeting with each other. We're also meeting with God. This is a conversation that takes place between us, his people, and him, our God. That conversation is reflected in the very structure of our worship. It's why we, we speak the call to worship. It's why we pray together. It's why we do confession of sins and hear an assurance of pardon. We're talking back and forth together with our God as we meet with him as, as a people that we're not here just to meet with each other. We're also not here just to, you know, make some connections. We're not here just to like receive some information in, in, a, in a download from the pastor. If church, see if church is just content delivery system, stay home, eat pancakes, listen to the podcast. That's another trend in American Christianity. We turn preachers into celebrities and, and listen to them when it, when, it, when it suits us. But church is designed to be so much more. Church is designed to be a meeting with God where we experience his power and his presence in new and powerful ways. And you know, a lot of us have, have experienced this personally in the last few weeks. Why? Because every week we have people coming back for the first time after COVID. And it's interesting to listen to them because they say things like, oh, it's so good to be here. I was tuning in from home, but it's just really different to be here in this room. Do you know what that is? That isn't just some warm, fuzzy, sentimental emotionalism. That is the presence of the Holy Spirit as, as we meet with God. 
as he shows up through every aspect of our service to, to make his power and his presence known among us. Two quick and very practical applications on this. First of all, when you come to church, look for this. Look for the power and presence of God. Show up knowing that you're not just here to meet with each other. We're here to meet with him. My, my number one job as a pastor is to try and encourage you to deal directly with him. And that's what we're to do in this time. We're to come in and we're to, we're to engage with him. We're to, yes, speak our sins, but we're also to listen for his voice. We're to find the, the courage and the encouragement and the conviction and, and the hope that we, we need to live the life of faith. That he has, he has a word for you this morning. We show up. We show up ready to hear from him. Second very practical application for those of you who haven't returned to church yet. Uh, this psalm is one of the reasons why as soon as you can come back, you should. As vaccination numbers increase and as COVID numbers decrease week by week, we're opening up more seats slowly, wisely in, in our sanctuary. Other ministries are getting up and running and we trust it won't be long until uh, we return to a full schedule of, of our ministries. And we want you to come back and make the most of it. You know, there's broadly speaking, two camps of people who haven't come back yet. The first camp is those who are really unhappy about having to wear a mask and don't want to come back until they no longer have to wear one or sing from one. And I want to, um, I want to gently but firmly tell you, if you think this is difficult, uh, and it is, it's an inconvenience, it's, it's not fun, but um, to make too much of that shows a lack of awareness of the inconvenience the global church is prepared to go to in order to worship God. Our brothers and sisters in China who risk persecution and death to worship together. A story I heard this week of a young woman in Syria who went to, to, to Bible study on a particular route to avoid sniper bullets. That's an inconvenience. Come, come back. <laughs> the second camp of, of folks are, are, are those who are concerned and genuinely concerned around, around health issues. And friends, listen, just, there's, there's patience for that. Don't feel browbeaten. Don't feel guilted. Don't feel like we're kind of trying to shame you into coming back to church. You know your health situation, follow the numbers, follow the statistics, and as soon as it's safe, come back to church. But make that your priority. Before worrying about when you can go back to the mall or back to a game, worry about coming, coming back to church. And as soon as it's safe for you to do so, come. Why? Why? Not because it's just the right thing to do, but because here we meet with God. Here we meet with God. Why is it so good? Why is it so pleasant to be with God's people? First of all, because it's like oil. It's like the power of presence of God being poured out in our midst. Second reason we get comes in verse three, uh, why it's so good for the family to be together. And this time David doesn't compare it to oil, but to Jew or do, as Americans say. It is like the Jew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Israel. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forever 
more. Life forevermore. Richard Pratt is an Old Testament scholar, and he helped me understand this verse by explaining that Israel, as we've already mentioned, is built on, on a mountain. And you know, if we went to Israel today, uh, sorry, Jerusalem today, Jerusalem is built on a mountain in Israel. And if we went to Jerusalem today, it's not a particularly beautiful place. It's dry, it's arid, it's dusty, it's certainly not lush or, or fertile. It's, it's not, it, it, it was beautiful because it was God's city, not because it was intrinsically, intrinsically beautiful. And so the people lived in this dry, dusty, arid landscape. But to the north of Jerusalem was another mountain called Mount Hermon, referenced here in the text. And Hermon was completely different. First of all, it was a very cool place. So high are its peaks that in the mountain, in the winter, they're they're snow-capped. Not only was it cool, though, it was also lush or, or fertile. As the snow melted from the peaks, it would, uh, water would flow down the side of, of the mountain, and it would be so full of dew throughout the year that when the wind blew, dew would drip down the sides of the trees, and the whole mountain would be watered. And because of that, it was a very lush, fertile place, full of plants and trees and, and, and wildlife, a, a place that, that in the midst of this dusty landscape had become something of, of an oasis. And do you see, do you start to see what David's saying? He's saying, we live in a dry and dusty land. But when God's people get together, when I'm with the family of God, it's as if the lush fertility of Mount Hermon has, has descended upon us. In this dry and dusty land, being with God's people is an oasis. Do you have a place like Mount Hermon in, in your own life? I think of going to my parents' house in the, in the Highlands. You get up on those cold, crisp morning and you fill your lungs with air and you simultaneously feel more at peace and more alive. Rest and invigoration. You might think of being in a, a mountain, in, uh, in a cabin, in, in our own mountains. You might think of, of being by the seashore. Some place where you have uh, air in your lungs and wind in your face and sun on your back. And you feel at rest and you feel more alive. Well, David says, that's what the church should be. In your dry and dusty land, this should be an oasis of life. Because friends, we live in dust and ashes. We live in a world where out, out there, you're judged by your grades, your appearance, your success. But in here is an oasis of life where you're just loved by grace. Out there, you have to struggle knowing, how do I get on with my parents? And how do I raise my kids? And how do I make this marriage work? And how should I behave in, in, in the office or, or in my career. Here you get to come and rest and not only rest, but find help to navigate all those things in our lives. Out there, there are a thousand voices that tell you, you should be thinner, stronger, better. And you certainly have to agree with everything we say or else. And here we have the voice of Jesus who brings freedom from all shame, from all guilt, who brings hope to all hurts and all sorrows, who 
in whom is, is life itself. The church becomes an oasis for us in a dry and dusty land. How would we describe our church? It's a pretty good description, isn't it? Come to our church because it's good for you and you'll enjoy it too. You'll find this to be a place where you actually meet with with God and and it'll just be an oasis of life. You will feel, you will leave feeling not just rest and peace, but but also more alive. Can that be a description of our church? You know what? You know it can be. Friends, we are not. We are not the perfect church. And as a congregation, we will remind ourselves of that from time to time. Why? Because large churches have a tendency to drift towards a kind of self-importance that that doesn't sound like grace. But we are not, we are not the perfect church, but we are perfectly loved by Christ. And because we are loved by Christ, day by day, week by week, we see his kingdom come on earth. We can be the kind of people he has, he has called us to be. We can be the kind of church that we really want to be. More on that next week as we move toward our, our missions focus. But for today, how good, how pleasant it is when the family of God dwells together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us your word. And thank you for even the bits that at first seem confusing. <laughs> because you, they, Lord, ultimately bring, bring life. And so we thank you for your grace toward us in Christ, our great high priest who has offered all sacrifice and now makes all intercession. And we pray that as we follow him, we would become more and more, Lord, what we already are, but become more and more the kind of church you have, you have called us to be. A church that is a place of your presence. A church that is an oasis of life. A church where hurting, broken, struggling, stumbling people like us continue to meet with Christ. Do this in us and through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.